Let's now turn in the Word of God to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, the text for the sermon on this occasion of the Lord's Supper is verse 4. We'll read the chapter in its entirety. This is the word of God. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me, Unto the churches of Galatia, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. And they glorified God in me. Thus far we read 
God's inspired word. Let's reread verse 4, which is the text. Who, you understand who that who is. It's at the end of verse 3, Lord Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world or age according to the will of God and our Father. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the occasion for the book of Galatians was a group called the Judaizers and what those Judaizers were teaching. The Judaizers claimed to believe salvation by faith in Christ, but they wanted to add faith to the keeping of the law or rather they wanted to add to faith the keeping of the law, particularly circumcision. And they viewed that circumcision as a kind of condition to salvation. That's basically the same error. Might put on different masks, but it's essentially the same error that you see all throughout church history. Pelagianism, semi-Pelagianism, Roman Catholicism, Arminianism, Federal Vision. You see these errors in Reformed and Presbyterian churches today as well. What the Apostle is doing then in this book is he is exposing this heresy of the Judaizers. He's refuting it. And then he's positively setting over against that what the truth of salvation is. One of the ways that heresy must be defended against is by teaching what the truth actually is. We always need to know that, not just this is the heresy and this is how it's exposed, but what is the truth over against that heresy? And what he's doing, Paul, by the inspiration of the Spirit, right at the beginning of this whole epistle, is he's laying out positively now what the truth of the gospel is. He's going to go deeply into the exposure of the error, but before he does that, it's as if he says, first I'm going to show you this is the gospel. And if you were reading this in an alert way, you may have detected He's not even done with the apostolic blessing yet. Embedded in that apostolic blessing is the positive truth. This is the truth which is in Christ. And this gives us opportunity then this morning briefly to open up this text and to have proclaimed for us on this occasion of the Lord's Supper the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, signified and sealed at this covenant meal. Let's take as our theme, Christ gave himself for our sins. Christ gave himself 
for our sins. Let's see, first of all, the idea, then secondly, the purpose, and then third, and very briefly, the confession. If someone came up to you tomorrow and asked you, what is the gospel? What would your answer to that person be? You could use these few words. The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. That in a nutshell is the good news of the gospel. The who of that, who gave himself for our sins, who at the beginning of verse 4, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that's mentioned immediately before our text begins. He is Lord. If you would like, you can look at the Heidelberg Catechism with me because the Heidelberg Catechism explains these various names. Question and answer 34 addresses briefly that name, Lord, one of the titles of our Savior. Wherefore callest thou him our Lord? Because he hath redeemed us, both body and soul, from all our sins, not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood, and hath delivered us from all the power of the devil, and thus hath made us his own property. He's Lord, and his name is Jesus, personal name of our Savior. Question and answer 29. Why is the Son of God called Jesus, that is, Savior? Because he saveth us and delivereth us from our sins, and likewise because we ought not to seek, neither can find salvation in any other. He's Lord, he's Jesus, and his name is Christ. Another one of the titles of the Savior. Question and answer 31. Why is he called Christ, that is, anointed? Because he is ordained of God the Father and anointed with the Holy Ghost, and now you know the rest, to be our prophet, to be our priest, and to be our king. A name. These names of our Savior reveal who he is and reveal what he does. And if you should ask, what's in a name? Very, very much. All sorts of treasures, and we're going to be admiring this name everlastingly too. The gospel is that this Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. Sins. That is, beloved, the great evil the problem in our life, sins. That word means missing the mark. You're probably familiar with that. You've heard that many times. The mark is the glory of God. But sin is not a near miss. It's not an accident. It's not a mistake. But sin is a missing of the mark of God's glory, and it's not as if I've just aimed a little bit too high or slightly to the side and I've missed that target. No, 
deliberately and rebelliously when I sin, I've gone the total opposite direction than the target of God's glory, and I've shot this direction at my own selfish goals. That's sin, and it's a dreadful thing. But notice with me, sins with an S, plural, because as we noticed briefly last week, our sins are a great multitude a huge number that we cannot possibly count. And not just one person's sins, although that's a whole mass in itself, but all the sins of all of God's elect people. And now you imagine what sort of multitude that is. And just think, one sin deserves eternal hell. It becomes quite personal. He's talking about our sins. He's, of course, including himself in that hour, the Apostle Paul himself. He's talking about the brethren that are mentioned in verse 2, as well as the churches of Galatia that are referenced in verse 2. They're all included in the hour. But the hour has inside of it all of God's elect, those whom he has chosen from before the foundation of the world in Jesus Christ. And that reminds us, doesn't it? Jesus did not die for the sins of all people head for head, but only for some, and those some are the sheep, the elect, the L of tulip, limited atonement. The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. Actively, willingly gave himself to death in all of its layers, plunged himself into the sufferings under the burning hot wrath of God against our sin as a necessary payment for sin, gave himself and willingly entered into obedience to the Father all the days of his life, loved his Father from the heart, and did all those things for 33-something years, but especially at the cross. He gave. He gave. And what he gave is himself. There is, beloved, a totality to that word. He didn't give merely something or somewhat. He gave nothing less than himself. Whole body, whole soul. There's nothing that he did not give every inch of his body, every single aspect of his soul, so that we can say that the Lord Jesus Christ was entirely absorbed in the suffering under the wrath of God against our sins. And doesn't that especially come out when he's hanging there in the darkness at Calvary and he cries, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He gave himself. 
Lord Jesus Christ gave himself, and he did so for our sins. Don't ever skip over the little words in the Bible, and don't skip over this one either. In that little three-letter word for is substitutionary atonement. I know, liberal theologians today, you might read of it in magazines or see it, hear it. They deny this doctrine of substitutionary atonement. They don't want anything to do with it. This whole matter of blood theology, they even scoff at it. But it is, to the believer, something of great, great treasure. The Lord Jesus Christ took my place under the burning and fiery anger of the Lord. He took my place and He took my sins upon His own shoulders and He took responsibility for our sins and paid them fully for His own. That, beloved, is the Gospel. Lord Jesus Christ gave Himself for our sins. And pretty soon we're going to come to the table, the covenant meal, and we're going to have signified and sealed here for us that wonderful good news. His body broken, His blood shed. Believe that Gospel. Now all that work that Christ did, that He gave Himself for our sins all His life long, but especially at Calvary, that comes first, and that is foundational. But He did all of that work for a purpose. And the purpose for which the Lord Jesus Christ gave Himself for our sins is this. The text says that, again, Here's purpose, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. I indicated this as I was rereading the text, but that word world could be better translated age. He gave himself for our sins for the purpose that <clears throat> he might deliver us from this present evil age. When it talks about this present age, it is referring to a certain period of time. And specifically, the period of time here is the New Testament. So that from Paul's point of view, living some 2,000 years ago, he could say, now is this present age. And then we living in 2023 could also say from our point of view, now is the present age. It's that period of time, the New Testament. But especially when he talks about this present age, he's referring to what characterizes this time period. What fills it up? What colors it? And don't we sometimes talk with each other that way too? Sit over a, cu a cup of coffee and we say, the times that we're living in, you don't just mean November of 2023. You mean what's going on in these times and what characterizes them. And that's the meaning here too. 
What is it that colors this present age? One word. Evil. Present evil age. I'd like you to imagine in your mind that this present evil age is like a rushing river. Frothy, sickly green and yellow river. It stinks, has all sorts of sewage in it, and that river is fastly flowing until finally it ends in the waterfall of hell. In this present evil age river is the evil one himself, Satan. He fills the river with all of his harmful bacteria of his works and influences, In the present evil age river are evil humans, the fallen race and Adam, corrupt, hostile against God and against Christ. And this evil human race dumps into the river all sorts of sewage of its proud plans and its bad purposes, its filthy works, its corrupt influences, its wicked developments, you name it. And in this present evil age river, is also the green, sickly, yellow film of sin. Baby murder. Gender-changing surgeries. Idolatry. Fornication. Pride. Rebellion. Lust. Entertainment madness. Wealth obsession. And all sorts of other manners of sins are in this river. And if you want to know the truth, beloved, apart from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you swim in that, and so do I. In fact, by nature, we love the smell of it, and we delight in its appearance, and we willingly swim in its current. That by nature, But Christ, this same Lord Jesus Christ, gave Himself for our sins in His life and at His cross that this purpose He might deliver us from this present evil age. That word deliver is a very dramatic word. It means to rescue, to pluck someone out. So you can think of it this way. Here I was in that river swiftly flowing in its current and even delighting in that water. And the Lord Jesus Christ plucked me out of that present evil age. He rescued me from it so that I don't belong to that water anymore. I'm rescued from the ruling power of this present age, and delivered from the dominion of evil over me. You see, you hear the irresistible grace in that? You and I were not calling for a rescue. Some people teach that today. There you were in the river going toward the waterfall of hell and you were the one that called out, help me, rescue me. 
But the truth is, we were not calling for a rescue. We love that water. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who took us from the current and brought us to the shore. That is irresistible grace. And having brought us safely to the shore, it's also a preserving grace, for by His power, He keeps us from perishing. When we really understand the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and when I say really, I don't mean just intellectually with the mind. There's something to that. But when it really sinks down into the heart, that irresistible grace is so delightful, deeply humbling, and gives us sheer joy. For those who have been plucked out of this present evil age, that water stinks now. Because the rescuer himself by his spirit has so worked in us so that it smells foul. And the coming glorious age of the heavenly Canaan, that's what gives us joy and that's what excites us now. And by the working of the rescuer, by His Spirit in us, now He Himself is beautiful to us. We love to look upon Him who rescued us. And we delight in the fact of just what it meant for Him and what He had to do to pluck us out of that river. And it is good for us every single Sunday using different ideas and various words, but still the same idea. It's good for us to hear about our rescue. Why? Because although we are not of the world, we are in it. And what does that world do to you every single day? It tempts you to jump right back in. And you still do a sinful nature in you and although he's not on the throne anymore he is still present and he will still be present until the day that you die and that sinful nature inside of us finds that river to be rather sweet smelling as well we always need to be reminded we've been rescued and the fact of our rescue don't go down to that river today don't go down there tomorrow to play on that shore and dip your feet in. You've been taken out. And this deliverance from the present evil age and really also the fact that Christ gave Himself for our sins, all of that is according to the will of God and our Father. That's what he says at the end of verse 4. According to the will of God and our Father. That God and Father is the triune God. And if you ask, well, if he's the triune God, why is he called Father here? Simply because that's what the triune God is to us. He is our Father and we are his children. 
That triune God has a will. And His will is simply what He has eternally determined to do. His will is eternal. His will is unchangeable. And whatever He's unchangeably and eternally determined to do, that and all of that, without frustrating, without being frustrated, He carries out in time and history. And at the very heart of that will of God is the salvation of His people in Jesus Christ. The triune God willed that Christ would give of Himself for our sins. And He carried that out in Christ. He willed that we would be delivered from the river of this present evil age. And He carried that out through Christ. Is that not to you, believer, such a great comfort? Your God is able and your God certainly does carry out all His will for your salvation. He's God. And that brings us to where we always need to be. All praise, all honor, and all glory to this God who is so determined and carried out. And then, as we come to the Lord's Supper this morning, to this covenant meal, it's not just that we have a text in front of us, but we have a confession. Paul, the churches of Galatia, the believers, and you and me come to this table now. and We say from the heart and upon our lips with great joy, the Lord Jesus Christ gave Himself for our sins that He might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank Thee that Thou hast determined from eternity so great a salvation that Thou hast carried this out that what thou hast determined to carry out, thou wilt do, surely, for thou art God. Pray, Father, that this word may be humbling and convicting for us, but also we are so thankful and give to us the joy of the gospel, even as we come to the Lord's Supper now. Feed us and nourish our hungry and thirsty souls. For Jesus' sake we pray, amen.